there's that sense of we belong together, we, we really enjoy each other, that there's relationships. But often inside of those, we decide to take um, the easy road and we don't have the difficult conversations. Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. This episode was previously recorded and published on the Outperform podcast. Hey everyone, I'm Bob Glazer, AP's founder and managing director. And today's quote is from George Washington Carver, which is when you can do the common things of life in an uncommon way, you'll command the attention of the world. So our special guest today, Dr. Abdul Malik Muhammad, is someone who's approached creating change in the lives of others in a very uncommon way. Dr. Muhammad currently serves as the vice president of several educational, mental health, and human services organizations, and is the founder of Akoben. He also holds a black belt in traditional Japanese martial arts and is an aspiring guitarist, and as I also just learned, home renovator. So uh, welcome, Dr. <laughs> Muhammad, and we're, we're honored to have you with us today. Thank you, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it. Thank you. So you have an amazing personal story, which I, I got a window into when I first heard you speak. I'd really love if you could share a bit about your background and how you came to be where you are today. Sure, sure. I'd love to. Um, so uh, maybe a good place to start is, uh, is you know, when I share the story, I, I always sort of preface it by saying it's really one of, of, of triumph so far, right? That um, too often we'll hear of a narrative or a trajectory, and it's, it's situated in... Um, and sort of all of the, the bad things that may happen to a person and how they personally overcome. And, and my story is a little bit different um, in that um, any of the triumphs and victories that, that I've been able to have have really been collective. And I think that that's important and, and something that I've always been mindful of. I was, uh, I was born into a family of poverty. Um, I was born three months after my biological father passed. And, um, and so, you know, a very rocky road, really challenging um, initial years. Uh, by the time I was eight years old, we were homeless and would remain so throughout much of my childhood. Um, and I had a lot of externalizing behaviors. The first time I was arrested, I was 10 years old. And um, in really troubling and challenging, turbulent years um, in early adolescence, uh, in and out of, uh, of juvenile detention centers, uh, in and out of shelters. But by the time I was 14 years old, my, my parents, uh, my, my mother and, and then stepfather uh, decided to try to save my life and, and move us away from the particular area where, where I was living or where we were living um, into a small town. And uh, that would really be a pivotal moment for me. Not that it would discontinue my, my externalizing behaviors, but that I would now begin to um, be centered inside of a community that would approach me a little bit differently. Um, and I would also sort of be exposed to things like, you know, um, overt racism, um, uh, sort of rural poverty, which were really um, interesting in my own transformation. 
And so um, it was through that process of, of some things that I talk about as this formula for change that really began to instrumentally impact my life so that uh, by the time I would graduate from high school, um, I would be able to get an academic scholarship, be the first person in my family to go on to school, eventually um, start a family while in undergrad. Um, and, uh, and then both um, several years later, both my wife and I would would get our doctorates, um, her in clinical psychology and, and I in education, um, and really uh, change the trajectory, not only of ourselves and our, and our immediate family, but more of our extended family as well. So, so it's been an interesting struggle, uh, but really a collective one. I call myself a community project because uh, it took a lot of people to really lift me up. Well, we're going to get a lot into the how um, you did that, because I think that's, that's where the lessons on performance are, are, are really helpful and where I took a really a lot, a lot about that. But just question before we dive into that, what led you to found your current company, Akaben, and, and what does the name mean? Sure, sure. So, um, so Akaben is actually a symbol. It's an ancient Adinkra symbol usually found in West Africa. Um, and it uh, sort of translates into war horn. Um, and so the idea is that it would be a horn that would sound to bring the community out to serve. And so in, in 2012, as I was leading several um, school operations and mental health organizations um, across a number of states, I was being approached by school districts and organizations to, um, to share some insights some coaching, some training with leaders in particular um, on human transformation and organizational transformation and uh, rooted in work like restorative justice, um, trauma-informed care, um, cultural relevancy. And uh, so that birthed Akoban, we needed an organizational framework um, to approach this work. Um, and uh, so in 2012, we, we started our first contracts in Delaware, where I live. And then since then, uh, we've been able to uh, secure uh, contracts and work with, um, with organizations throughout the U.S. and, and into Canada, um, helping now thousands of folks um, really think deeper and differently, perhaps, than uh, traditional ways of thinking about how we do human services and uh, in organizational leadership. Fascinating. And, and, you know, one of the things I think leaders struggle with the most, well, leaders and parents and, and everyone, is, is, is how to affect change and getting others to change. Yeah. And when I, when I heard your story and I, and I heard you recently speak at a, at a leadership event, you know, what struck me, you talked about a formula that you've discovered for driving people to lasting change. And I know this formula has sort of been born working with uh, some of the most difficult um, kind of situations and people coming, this isn't your garden variety change, <laughs> people coming from really, <laughs> really difficult situations. So I'd love for you to dive in, share that formula with our listeners and talk a little bit about how it came about, how you road tested it and, and, and how it can be applied both in so social services and business and all kinds of leadership. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. I, I love the way you, you, you phrase that sort of not garden variety change, right? Because I, I think what, um, to quote uh, Freeman Hrabowski, who's the um, uh, the president of University of Maryland, Baltimore County, one of the the things that I, I think that he has, um, beautiful things that he has said, and he said many, um, was that all of our easiest problems have already been solved, right? That, that we need our greatest and brightest minds to think about our most challenging issues and challenging problems. And so when we talk about change, you know, it's not garden variety. We're not looking at change of degrees. We're really looking about change of kind 
and uh, and qualitative change. And so when we were approaching some of the work that we do um, in alternative schools, so these are schools and environments where young people have been removed from their traditional school placements um, due to um, often real negative externalizing behaviors, aggressiveness, et cetera. Um, those are the young people that we're working with or, or some of the programs that we work with, with people in recovery um, or, or parents in, in trying to work with um, children and, and their own families um, to change uh, some of the maladaptive behaviors that they see there or experiencing. But then also in organizations that are failing. Um, and how do we um, beat back um, the what would feel like the inevitability of, of perhaps closing an operation? How do we overcome that? And, and so we were asking ourselves these questions as we were having some really good outcomes, right? So we were serving young people, we were serving organizations, and we were beating back the odds, we were changing trajectories, and we were asking ourselves, how? How was this happening? Um, because we had really good, we stumbled into some really good action and some good outcomes, but we had not really developed the formula um, uh, to be able to replicate it. And, and ultimately, we, I think, have a moral responsibility to, if we're doing really good work, to do more of it and to do, um, to do it uh, in, in greater spaces. And so when we thought about this work and when I began to delve into my own autobiography, I really began to uncover this notion of, uh, of a formula for change. And the formula is a simple one, um, but we think it's pretty powerful when we really begin to explain it. And that is that connection plus challenge equals change. So again, connection plus challenge equals change. And so we, we, we spent a bit of time talking about connection um, and, uh, and talking about challenge and then how that really leads to change and beyond just superficial change, but, but more lasting, impactful change. So, so I can certainly unpack some of that um, for you, Bob, if, if you'd like. Yeah, I guess the first and, and, you know, really resonated with me and realized that I think subconsciously, look, it's hard to get people to, to change. And mm-hmm. I always tell a lot of people that if they don't want to change. <laughs> They're not going to change. Yeah. Uh, and, but, but at the same time, my, my, my style has been challenging. And I realized that the, the, the Friday Ford emails that I wrote sort of, it, that was a, the light for me. I said, you know, I think that's, you know, like, why do these work? I think, I think I've developed some connection, but they're definitely challenging. I, I, there's, a, there's a lot of people I know who, who you know, you, Kim Scott's radical candor is very popular mm-hmm. now. There's a lot of people who just don't want to challenge and, mm-hmm. and they want it to be easy. And I think... I think you clearly proved that that's not part of it. I mean, maybe in unpacking a little more, could you start with what happens when you have one without the other? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so that's where we've been able to trace some of the, the greatest um, failures, right, in our, in our change efforts, whether it's personal change effort, right, where, where you know, uh, uh, we're trying to lose weight, right, but um, uh, we don't challenge ourselves enough or we don't have connection and support. Right. Um, uh, or we don't have connection to the goal itself. Right. The goal is is just a number or it's not meaningful. Um, and so that's where the notion of sort of the enduring why. Right. Uh, comes in and some of the work that, that Simon has done and and others. But um, when we have worked with organizations, we work with individuals um, and we're talking about these change efforts and initiatives um, when we violated this formula, you have connection. 
i.e. you've got strong relationships, you you are able to um, be there for people, there's a lot of love, right? However that manifests itself in the work environment, a personal uh, family, et cetera, that there's, there's that sense of we belong together, we, we really enjoy each other, that, that there's relationships. Um, but often inside of those, we decide to take um, the easy road and we don't have the difficult conversations. We, um, we pass on uh, leveraging those relationships to actually call and hold people accountable. Um, and so therefore, um, it, it becomes, as my, my good friend um, uh, Govin uh, Jayaraman says, uh, no progress, no problem. So there's no progress towards, um, towards achievement and performance. And you know what? There's no problem. We're still good. We're all good. And uh, that's what happens when we have this violation of the formula leaning towards the connection, but then also equally as challenging or equally as detrimental is when we have challenge, we have a challenging atmosphere in the absence of connection. Um, that's what we see with um, things like discipline, disproportionality. When we look at the data and we see uh, there's certain young people that are disciplined uh, much more harshly, much more differently than uh, other students are. Uh, that's what happens when we have environments where it's command and control um, and leaders are all about their way or the highway. Um, and it's do what I say because of positional authority, but they lack moral authority and they don't have the relationships. And so therefore, when people leave, uh, they're quitting their boss. Um, and it's often because of the, um, the challenge and the absence of connection. So what connection does is it gives us the leverageability to challenge deeper. And what challenge does is if we do it well, it can actually build and, and develop connections even, even stronger. I think you put it, I mean, you earn the right to challenge by first mm -hmm. developing the connection. I assume connection comes before challenge. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting. Um, humans are complex, right? So, so uh, there, there's so many ways and times in which it's through the challenge um, that we can actually connect, and and it's also in the connection, even you know first um, that we can we can challenge more. But I think they go simul they go simultaneously. There's a synergy there. Um, I don't think you have to have six months, ten months in to connect and build relationships before you can challenge. Uh, I've been able to challenge folks that, uh, that I've met, um, but do it in a way that, that it actually still maintains or builds connection between us. Yeah, so it, switching to, to, to the work uh, scenario for a minute, I mean, one thing I'd love to get your perspective on thinking about this is, is generationally and how this is adapted on parenting styles. So you have, uh, you know, we, we have a group of people, and I, I don't know that it's a, it's a, I'll say millennial or not millennial, but we definitely have a group entering the workforce that has been, you know, helicopter parented or, or snowplow yeah. parented, as I heard a principal <laughs> refer to it recently, no longer hovering, let's just get everything out of the way, in, yeah. which, in which there has been a lot of connection, but, but very little challenge at all. And this is, this is showing up on the, on the doorsteps of, of, of companies and managers who now um, really have to deal with people who have been very nurtured but never challenged and and, it, and it's and it's difficult for them. I mean, what 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 have you seen there? What advice would you offer in those situations? Because I, I've heard countless um, stories about this. I, you know, some folks who really have they've been they've been encouraged their whole life, but but have, have never been challenged and 
adversity has been has been moved out of the way for. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So so we can see the pendulum swinging the, the other way where, you know, certainly we can look at a, a time period in, in parenting. And, and of course, this is, you know, the interface and, and intersection of culture. Right. And um, and uh, and ethnicity plays into this as well. But, you know, um, years ago, uh, we would see parenting as as all challenge as about rules. And uh, and, you know, it's better for. Um, children to be, you know, seen and not heard, and it's about obedience. Um, and then, of course, uh, a, a wave of, of of other thinking came in, and 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 the the pendulum has swung the other way, where uh, we do unfortunately have um, a, a growing, uh, well, maybe not growing, but I think that there's a body of of parenting styles out there that are really about um, uh, connection, clearing the path for any sense of failure. And the important lessons that young people learn from failure, um, and really this notion of protective, uh, but life protection. And I think a great quote by um, a gentleman named uh, Walimu Baruti. Uh, he said that um, accolades and praise preceding effort creates dependency and weakness. And I thought that was so powerful because we'll give the accolades and and we we and the praise. Um, preceding any effort at all. And so if we teach them that um, you can get, and I, and I don't want to use the term, you know, the, the plastic trophies or the rewards or anything like that, um, <laughs> right? But I, I think if even just the attaboys, you get the attaboy before you've even tried. Or for showing up, right? Or for showing yeah, exactly. up. Exactly. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate.
I, I mean, my, my, my daughter had a, had an invention convention, I don't know, six or seven years ago. And, and every, everyone, I remember mine as a kid. I loved it. We made, I, my friend and I, we stuck a tube into yeah. a plastic bottle and ran it up <laughs> a bike so you could drink out of it. And you know, they look like things yeah. that kid, kids, kids made. And, and, and we go to this invention convention at my daughter's school and half yeah. the stuff is made by the parents. Uh, the, the, the other half is, is, is not real, right? So, oh, this is a, you know, uh, a food shrinker <laughs> a and you shoot yeah, a beam yeah. at it and it shrinks the food. And then, yeah, a teleporter for food. And then, and, and then everyone is yeah. given a, a, a ribbon, you know, for showing up. And I, I was just yeah. mortified by the whole thing in terms of what, what, yeah. what are we teaching here? I mean, it's, it's when you start giving awards for showing up, uh, I, I, I think that's, yeah. that's dangerous and it has a lot of negative implications of saying that, Hey, you should be, you should be praised just yeah. for, for showing up to work. I mean, I don't know if you read about, we had a big <laughs> foot of snow yesterday and Bill Belichick made a whole big deal that there was no excuses for being late to practice, no matter yeah. how hard it was to get to the state. I, you know, he's, he, he is the opposite right. and you just do your job. I mean, there's no, right. no praise for getting to practice. Yeah. If you have to stay at the hotel, do it. So yeah, it's, uh, I, I find that stuff. I, I, I think we're hurting. Yeah. And, more and, and, we're, and I think what we've got to navigate is this, this, because what, what I think the, the praise just for showing up runs counter to are two things. Uh, one, I think, is uh, can be can be overstated in, in, in our society. Right. That's sort of this notion of competition is supreme. Right. That that everything is about competition. And so therefore, how do people know that they've won unless they beat someone? Well, I you know, I might challenge against that. Right. But I think the yeah. other one is that when it's praise and accolades preceding effort, then we are ultimately abdicating our responsibility to hold young people accountable to do their very best. And we're abdicating our responsibility as parents, as, as community members, yeah. as citizens um, to teach right from wrong. And that failure can, can of course, be hugely um, profound and growing. And I think that that's really important. And that's where the challenge comes in, that, of course, we earn that right. Um, by having that connection. So, um, and sort of what I've said before is. So it's, co it's competition. Yeah, yeah, I'll just say this, you know, yeah, we, sorry, we teach ahead. young people that they can be anything, but if we, if we don't hold them accountable, then what will they be? Right. And I think that that's, that's really interesting. Is competition part of the challenge? I, I, you know, I, I, I'm working, finishing my second book and I just wrote chapter on competition. And I think, I really think competition is essential, but not not in the win lose and you have to beat people. I think a lot of people are really competing against themselves. But I I can't think of a lot of things in life that people will want, whether it is a <laughs> girlfriend, a job, a house, or something else that someone else, <laughs> you know, if it if it, it wouldn't right. want that wouldn't want the same thing. And and you're gonna win and you're gonna lose, and I and I think you need to do both gracefully. But it's about how you show up and yeah, and, and yeah, I, I, you know, Bob. It's interesting. I, I have a, a personal um, challenge in front of me right now, and and what I needed was um, the opportunity for me to say no to something to clarify exactly what it is that I wanted. But I needed there to be value um, in the second option in order for me to turn it down. And I think for me, it was sort of this notion of competition, right? That I needed to have at least something 
um, uh, of value to go against in order to clarify and deepen the sense of uh, of the win, right? So, you know, whether, you know, my wife is beautiful and, and even more yeah. than um, her beauty is, is just her amazing mind and, and brilliance. Um, but, you know, I recognize that um, I, I've got to continue to give um, deposits into that relationship um, because, you know, she's a she's a she's a, a wonderfully hot commodity out there. Right. <laughs> and uh, and I and I refuse to uh, to uh, to 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 yeah. lose in that battle. Um, uh, and certainly not trying to, you know, commercialize or consumerize my wife. But I, I think um, there's this this real notion of. Right. But m- monopolies don't. Yeah, right. look at an uncompetitive market and you exactly. will not find much ignition exactly. at all uh, until until someone comes in Absolutely. And, and lights a fire under them. So so what are the what are the implications of the connection plus challenge model for business leaders? How, how how do you or how do you apply this with your with your own staff or how should people who are building a team or leading really think about because I do think, and I, I talk about with my my team, and my job is to challenge them and to push them, but but support them. I think a lot of leaders struggle with this. They yeah. either are good at the connection or they're good at the challenge, but they're not yeah. good at the combination. <laughs> so they're not they're not getting the change. So, so maybe you could talk about how you have a you know with your own staff, and then sort of how you've coached uh, leaders and executives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the perennial quest, right? This is the journey. Um, uh, whether as a parent, a leader, a a business leader, um, community leader, et cetera. Um, and, and this intersection. So, so first thing is we've got to have a common dialogue, right? We've got to be able to use terms, um, like connection plus challenge, um, uh, in our, in our, our regular vernacular. So then that way we can hold each other accountable or what, what Govin calls volunteered accountability, um, in, in with each other. And so one thing that, that I often share is what we call the social discipline window, and it's rooted in the work and, and movement around restorative practices and restorative justice. And then the social discipline window, you can imagine an intersection of, of two two lines, um, two perpendicular lines, uh, one representing the line of control or uh, challenge or power, and the other representing the line of support or love or connection. And uh, this, of course, creates quadrants or, or four boxes. And, um, and one thing that we, we talk about is looking at our decisions and seeing where they fall. And so in a space of low connection and low challenge, we call that the not box. And that is because when someone is existing here, you've got very little connection or relationships going on um, and you've got very little challenge, then this is the space of, of, of not really showing up, uh, not being involved and certainly not being effective. And so when we talk about some of our key decisions, whether it's as a parent or as, um, as a, a leader of an organization, a business, et cetera, um, when do we show up this way? And uh, when do we sort of bow out and, and we're an absentee landlord? We're not showing up as a leader. Uh, we've abdicated our responsibility to use our authority. Um, there are other times when, when I and my natural default is more towards the high control, the high challenge, and, 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 and less or little, if any, support or connection. And, and that is unfortunately a default style that I've had um, uh, as a teacher, as a leader, um, that I've fallen into at times. And that is what we call the two box, uh, T-O. And that is when you are primarily using your authority by doing things to people. 
And so when I'm when I'm there and, and I often find myself there in periods of stress um, uh, where I go to management by crisis, um, I'm extremely directive and, and, and very, very clear. And that works at times. But too often I'm more comfortable there than I should be. And I begin to make excuses for my behavior um, as to why I need to be operating in that box. And that's when I have people around me that we've we've trained in in this um, framework and they're able to challenge me and say, well, Malik, you know, let's pull back a little bit. It looks like you're being a two. Um, and uh, and what's probably best for the team is to be a different way. Um, it's a bummer when you train people to call out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mistake. That's <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then I get upset and say, "Don't use my stuff against me." And they uh, and then they remind me, "Well, this was never your stuff, Malik, anyway." And then I'm really, uh, <laughs> I'm really in a pickle. Uh, um, and then, of course, you've got um, on the other side of that, you've got uh, high control, uh, a lot of relationships, a lot of connection, a lot of uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, high. Um, connection, a lot of uh, support, a lot of love, a lot of relationships, but very little control. That's uh, very little accountability, very little expectations. And that's what we call the four box, F-O-R. And that's when you are using your authority by primarily doing things for people. Um, the savior syndrome is out of this. The um, protect them because um, they can't protect themselves. It's really rooted in a deficiency mindset. Um, and, uh, and, and and it's 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 similar to Kim Scott's Runus empathy. Absolutely, if you're familiar with that. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it's actually in the same place too. It is, the, yeah. On the quadrant, yeah. yeah. Radical candor yeah. is 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 a great uh, manifestation of this uh, of this model as well, right? Um, and so uh, and so the challenge here, of course, is that um, uh, we end up doing all the heavy lifting for folks um, because of either expediency. It's easy for me to do it myself, um, but we ultimately disempower people um, and we also are allowing them to sit on the sidelines when they need to be on the field um, and really participating. And uh, but the optimal place, of course, is high control or, or high accountability, high challenge and high connection, high support and uh, high relationships. And we call that the with box. And so what I always say is when, when at the end of the day, it's, it's 11 PM, it's, it's 8 PM, it's three o'clock in the morning. Uh, when we're reflecting on our day and those days in which we've been on our A game, uh, it's primarily when we've been operating in that with box that we've held people accountable. Uh, we've been held accountable, but we've also been anchored inside of relationships and people know that we care and are concerned um, for them as well. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little 
or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah, I think people struggle to hold others accountable even more than the, they're more comfortable being, the irony is they're more comfortable being held accountable than they are holding people accountable which should imply that they should hold people accountable, but, but it doesn't. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very true. Right. And, and I think it takes honor and integrity as a leader to look someone in the eye and let them know that they're, they're missing the mark. They're not doing what they need to do. And of course, you know, open up, how can you support them more, but also let the opportunity to sit in that space of, of being uncomfortable and them knowing, and we call it reintegrative shaming, but knowing that that it's not okay how they've been acting, performing, et cetera, but they are still a part of this, this relationship and that you're committed to them doing better. But there's also an expectation that they will do better. So, so I'm, I'm leading my business. I have an exciting new plan. We're going to make a big pivot or change. We're going to go forward. Where, where I'm all excited. Yeah. I need people to change. Where do most business leaders go wrong in trying to affect change, either in their industry or with their teams? Yeah, that's a great point. So, so we can extrapolate, you know, how we do change um, uh, beyond just the individual level to also how we roll out projects, initiatives, et cetera, right? So we can roll out an initiative in any of these four boxes. Um, when we roll out a new program, a new, a new technology, and we essentially let it just sit there for people to approach it in whatever way they want to, without direction, without expectation, without support, and our arms wrapped around them, then we do it in, in the, in the not box, right? There's low control and, and low support. Um, other times we make it a mandate um, that they color absolutely inside of the lines. Um, and there's often very little support um, uh, or leeway to begin to sort of modify it in a way that's going to be best used for the, for the organization. Um, and, and that's doing it in a two fashion. And I've been guilty of that, right? Like this is the direction in which we're going. Um, I want everyone to walk exactly this way. Um, and I really don't care about your, your idea to put a cute little flower on it or make it red. Um, <laughs> this is what it's going to be. And again, that's appropriate at times. Um, but too often, uh, we, we overdo that. I certainly overdo that. Um, and then there's other times in which we'll, we'll do initiatives where, um, we, uh, we roll it out, but there's very little expectation for them to, to adhere. It's almost, uh, to check a box. Um, and so we end up doing all the heavy lifting, but, um, when we're doing initiatives of change, um, being in the weeds with folks to, to help them through the process, i.e. that support, um, at times, but then also letting them know these are the non-negotiables and these are, these are the areas of, uh, of, of flexibility. It's interesting. You know, what, one of my favorite quotes on, on, I'm sure you've heard this on change is the, if, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. <laughs> Which is, that's right. Have you heard right. that one? I, I, I've heard something similar. Yeah, yeah, I think it was, uh, yeah. I, I can't remember who it was, but, but it was something that, you know, if the rate of change on the outside is greater than, than the rate of change on the inside, yeah, yeah. You've, got, you've got a problem, right? Yeah. I, I think that was Buffett. That might have even been uh, Buffett. Yeah, yeah, you, you're yeah, probably and, right. And, and, 
And, and one thing I want to point out, and you know, if, if the listeners really haven't made the connection already, you, know, you, you, you do a lot of your work in, in social services. And yeah. um, you know, we, we talk a lot about business here, but, but I think the model is important and, and you probably under, understood, understated the impact that you have. But, but you're talking about where if you can't affect change in the people that you're working in, their, their lives are at risk and their entire future is at risk. So it is, it is paramount that you can figure out how to change. And these are people who may not want to listen or don't have a reason to listen or you're not, you're not their boss. So, so, so that is why I, I found this model, you know, really, if, if it works in those sort of contexts, you know, how, how, how can leaders tap into it when they have uh, all the other advantages in, in their favor? So I, it, it is, yeah. So talk, talk a little bit about, you know, the folks that are, because uh, I'm sure you see the extreme, the really, the unwilling. So what, what yeah. is this, you know, what do you, what do you do in social services when this person's just not going to change? You see they're going to ruin themselves versus how, how does someone deal with that in a, in, a, in a business context? Yeah, yeah. No, Bob, that's that's a great one. And, and that's the, the space that I find myself in a lot. Right. So so navigating between when the the price for continuing on uh, with their particular trajectory is 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 really high. Right. So young people that not um, giving up a promotion. Right, right, right. It's not first world problems. Right. I mean, we're you know, it's yeah. uh, it's it's the real challenge of of it. Listen, if something doesn't happen now, then you run the risk of not living until age 21 right that um and and i've unfortunately you know had to over the past five years um bury 10 young men um that i've worked with um in our alternative schools in in delaware and elsewhere um who uh who, who were gunned down um in the street and and uh, were victims of homicide and i've and i've spoken at their funerals and so the price there is really high and uh, but what we found is when we're working with those individuals and those families and folks that are in recovery, et cetera, um, that when we were turning around, so I was navigating going to, you know, a funeral and then turning around and going to a business meeting where, you know, I'm, uh, I'm responsible for about 2,200 um, folks across nine states. Um, so I've also got that entrepreneurial um, space that I, I find myself in and, and, and I own two companies and vice president of several others. And so um, trying to also understand how do these principles apply in the business world um, as well, where the price isn't as high, but um, the work is critically important, especially if, if it's if it's work of substance and meaning, right, to, 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 to help the community. And um, and so uh, what we found is when the price is even higher, the, the responsibility for connection is even deeper. But if we do it well and we develop these really interesting and profound skills and principles in connecting and building relationships, it doesn't take as long as we might think. Um, working with some, some folks that have some deep and, and pretty serious challenges in their life related to poverty, uh, structural violence, racism, et cetera, um, and, uh, and a lot of acting out behaviors, it didn't take years to connect with these young people and, and adults, it sometimes took minutes. And it, despite their trauma, but when we went into it with an open heart that, that they were actually able to see the, the value and what we were bringing and, uh, and, and found that connection and then challenging them uh, minutes after that. Um, and, uh, 
And then we, we did find and have found that the work inside of organizations is a little bit different um, in, uh, in that they really want to be able to know that if they're going to sit down with you as a consultant, as a coach, et cetera, that you're able to understand the pain that they're going through, which, you know, just as well as I, you know, businesses aren't the unique little snowflake that we sometimes think we are, um, that there's some universal <laughs> challenges uh, that, that we can apply across industries. Yeah, I go back to something you said earlier. I think it sounds like in either situation, a leader needs to have the emotional intelligence to know whether what they need, whether they need to challenge in order to to earn that connection, or they need to connect in order to earn the ability to challenge. And it's probably a little bit different based on on who they're talking to. Some people just have never been challenged before, and everyone's told them what they wanted to hear, and, and, mm-hmm. and therefore they don't connect because they don't they don't respect those people. And, and, and vice versa as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I found that, that when you're going to, you know, I've had a great experience when I'm challenging someone that, that, you know, I've got a relationship with and, and we've got a good connection. I often start that conversation sometimes with, hey, listen, I need to have a tough conversation with you. And uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be tough for you. Well, it, it is, way, it is right. for me. The way you're saying it is both. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Right. right? Just even the way you said that, the the tone you were you were sounding, you know, authentic and connecting and challenging at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 sometimes the end result of that conversation is I've had to terminate someone. But that's how I started it. You know, I'm going to I need to have a tough conversation with you. And uh, other times it's it's really just to bring to their attention something that's not going well. And um it, you know, they're, they're not always, it's not always hugs and kisses afterwards, right? <laughs> um, it's it's yeah. never kisses, uh, sometimes hugs, but, uh, um, but, but it's usually uh, this sense of walking away from the conversation, feeling that someone honored me and told me the truth. And, uh, and we all bandy around this notion of, hey, listen, just be straight with me, be transparent with me. But then we turn around and aren't often that with, with the people that we're responsible to. Yeah, I, I was really impacted early in starting Acceleration Partners by the work of Patty McCord and Netflix around being authentic, telling people the truth and they, they, they can handle it. And what, what I've come to see is I think people don't tell the truth because to, to protect themselves mm. and, you know, they, they, it's hard for them and they can't do it or they feel bad that this person's not going to, they know that this person's not going to have a job at their organization. So they create yeah. this sort of dissociative barrier where they now need to make this person into a bad person because that becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy for them. That's right. They have a hard time with the dissonance of this person is, or Dr. Muhammad's a great person, but he's just not the right guy for this role. Yeah. And and so somehow in my mind, I got to make him not right for this role and a bad person. And the lack of respect leads to a lot of problems that by doing that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, wow, Bob, you hit on something so powerful, right? That we have to dehumanize sometimes, right? In order to um, allow us to do some things that are what we perceive to be negative. So if we're going into this process, not that I need to have a tough conversation, right? But it's, you know, I'm, I'm going to hurt somebody here, right? Um, then the, what makes it easier, what makes that softer for us is, um, 
is, is seeing them not as a full human that we need to value and understand, but two things can exist at the same time. They can be a, a great human being and just in the wrong place, right? And uh, a good colleague yeah. of mine says, sometimes we have a responsibility to give people back to the community, you know, uh, <laughs> i.e. letting them go, right? Yeah. They, they, they can't be here any longer for a variety of reasons, but those two things can exist that we can be good and still do things that are wrong. Um, and harm others. And, uh, and that's what the work of restorative practices does is we can separate the deed from the doer and allow people to still remain a part of the collective, um, but address and hold them accountable for the things that they might have done wrong. And, and respect becomes a big foundation of, of that, I think, whether yeah. you challenge respectfully or you challenge disrespectfully. Exactly. And, and I think that that probably makes all the difference. Yeah, and, and, and there's something you said earlier about sort of just being open and honest with people and speaking truth to power. And unfortunately, we've got some folks that are very good at that, um, perhaps, but it's often a masquerade for them to just be a jerk. Um, <laughs> you yep. know, so there's folks that are running around saying, I just speak my mind and, and I tell the truth. Well, no, you're just a jerk, and uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, and you like harming people, right? And uh, and right. you don't have that connection. What you've got is a lot of challenge, and uh, but you don't like being challenged often either. So, yeah. yeah, the goal of the goal of feedback or challenge is to, is to improve. It's not to make the person giving it feel better that they unloaded it off their chest. It's to exactly. get a change in behavior. If you're just saying it to make yourself feel good or to feel superior in some way, then that has ulterior motives. Exactly. Exactly. That's a good way to put it. Well, we, 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 could, we could talk for hours, but uh, <laughs> I want to I start wrapping it up. So I, I have one last question for you. And yeah. you know, you've, you've overcome some, some major challenges in your life. And this is the, the Outperform podcast. So we like to ask everyone, you know, what, what is your key to outperforming and, and how, helping others to do the same? What, what's, what have you used to overcome the obstacles that you've had in front of you? Hmm. That's, that's good. So, so I kind of draw strength from a, a couple lessons um, that, uh, that, that, that have been given to me. One was um, that, that endures in my mind uh, that my mother was very fond of saying. She, of course, got it from somewhere else, but, but I attribute it to my mom. Um, and, uh, and that is this notion of it's, if it's to be, it's up to me. Um, and so that is sort of this radical ownership that I have responsibility for my trajectory, that bad things will happen. They have happened. And I am in a space of being responsible. Um, and, uh, certainly, you know, I don't control all conditions, um, but I am responsible to how I, how I respond. And then the other is, um, when times get tough and they're really challenging, uh, one of my favorite African proverbs is, um, one does not abandon their part of the battlefield just because it has thorns. And so for me, that, that really helps me to remember that this space, this work that I'm doing is going to be hard. It's going to be thorny. It's going to be challenging at times, but one does not abandon their part of the battlefield just because of that. We've been placed here in this space for a reason, and we have a responsibility to, to, uh, to uphold that and respect that and respond to that. So, so all that I've, I've been able to achieve, and, and hopefully there's a lot more ahead of me than is even behind me, um, really, I think, marry the two of those. Well, Dr. Muhammad, thank you. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you about affecting change in ourselves and in others. As I mentioned, I'm deeply passionate about this subject and was really inspired by 
uh, the talk you gave a few months back. So to our listeners out there, we'll be sure to include the show notes in this episode. Maybe we'll get a copy of the of the some of the graph that you talked about. I think the visual on that, the the for and the we will really uh, help everyone. And also links where you can learn more about uh, Dr. Muhammad Akoben and the incredible work that they are doing to improve the lives and communities around them. So until next time, thanks for listening and keep outperforming. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.